to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. I'm your host, Avi Unit 2, and in this episode, we're talking about Season 2, Dungeon Bowl, Week 2. Let's go! Welcome to episode 16. It's week two in the Dungeon Bowl. Actually, it's week three. Week two has finished up. And man, what a competition this has been so far. This is really competitive. It's really exciting. All of these teams are great at this point. Boy, these weeks are blowing my mind. We've still got plenty more to go, so why don't we just dive into it right now? Welcome to episode 16. If you think we're missing an episode, we are not. We are trying to get the episode numbers back on track after the hiatus episode. Uh, my podcast app of choice doesn't like the, the, the disconnect in the episode numbering. So we're just going to we're going to skip episode 15. Episode 15 will be the mysterious episode that people talk about years in the future. Does it exist? Does it not exist? Who knows? But. I'm joined here again by Artificial Bunny. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going great. I am a ghost on episode 15. <laughs> episode 15 was your episode. <laughs> uh, all right. We're, I think so. We're just getting week three underway. So why don't we talk about week two's games? How do you feel about that? Sounds great. Some great games cool. played there. Indeed, there's six games in the week, three in each division. Let's uh, let's start with Division A. First up, we had uh, a minor matter. That's you versus Nurgle Burgle Boys. That was Nick Satan's Nurgle team. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you how did you feel going into this game? Uh, I was a little nervous. I was down a, a blitzer, so I picked up one as a mercenary, and I think that might have been a little bit of a mistake. Why is that? It gave him just a little extra inducement cash, and I think that was used against me. Oh, it it sure was. He picked up a wizard and a bribe going into this game. But you are pretty leveled up now. You're you're what I oh, would yeah. consider about mid TV. I, I in my opinion, I'd consider low TV TV one thousand and like high TV maybe eighteen hundred to two thousand. So around fifteen hundred, you're. You've got a number of mutations now. Uh, can you talk about those mutations? I know you have a, a claw plus mighty blow player. You got a player with two heads. You have a player with extra arms. Uh, give me the rundown on these these skills and why you picked them. Well, um, I think the first one I got were the extra arms. I wanted something on my uh, thrower to make it just a little easier to mess with the ball, get it in my hands. Although extra arms gives you a plus one on the passing skills. Yeah, and uh, for some reason, uh, I'm still having trouble picking up that ball with <laughs> sure hands and extra arms. <laughs> it's like someone greased it. Yeah, Nick Satan probably picked up grease ball as an inducement. <laughs> um, two heads I wanted on at least one goblin just to make it a little more of a threat getting in to wherever it needs to go. Getting a Remind more... me again, what does uh, two heads get you? Uh, two heads makes it one easier to dodge anywhere, and that combined with stunty lets my goblins dodge 
pretty much anywhere on the pitch on a one or on anything better than a one. Then, of course, you've got the claws of Muddy Blow player. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Working on getting three of those, but so far I've got a blitzer with it and my troll has claw. So claw treats everyone as if they effectively have an AV of seven and Muddy Blow gives you a a plus one on either your armor roll or your injury roll. So that combo, as we've talked about time and again, is really scary. So you've got you've got one player with claw and mighty blow, and then your troll has claw, right? Troll also has mighty blow. Oh, of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> All right. Well, at the beginning of this game, uh, who was on offense? Was it you? I believe I I chose offense on this one. Yeah, I was I was looking to maybe try and use some of that claw and mighty blow to create a bit of a player advantage. See if I could get that to capitalize on well on turn three uh the nurgle burgle boys they dished out their fireball they dished out their fireball they knocked down half your cage uh and they used that opportunity to blitz the ball pick ball carrier and knock the ball loose were you worried about uh, a tight cage with that wizard in play or did you just want to get it out there done over with early you know i didn't anticipate him using the fireball so early in the game uh, usually coaches tend to wait until maybe the second half or the second quarter uh, to pop it out. And uh, yeah, so wasn't really expecting it. Yeah, uh, it was fairly early. He was able to capitalize on it, though. Um, he After he cast the fireball, he knocked out the left side of your cage. He went in, blitzed the ball carrier, knocked the ball loose. But then... Both y'all fa- <laughs> failed to pick up the ball for something like three turns in a row. Yeah, that was crazy. It was <laughs> it was a mess of uh, back and forth trying to get that ball. I think he did a great job. He did. I, I agree. Uh, uh, keeping that pressure on, uh, going after that ball, ensuring that if you got it, he'd be able to, to blitz you back down. He was able to recover it on turn five, and that ended up letting him score on turn seven. Now you find yourself down one touchdown, not on your half. That's got to be scary, yeah? Yeah, it it was a little disappointing, I'll have to say. (laughs) Uh, Nurgle's probably one of the weakest teams, in my opinion, at 1000 TV. And he was able to really leverage their strengths to keep me from getting that ball back. Wow, I, I don't I don't like Nurgle teams myself, but man, one of the weakest at low TV. I, I don't know if I agree. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I think Underworld's pretty weak at low TV. <laughs> okay, true. But like of of the strength teams, I feel like they're pretty bad at a thousand TV. Uh he'd be on offense in the second half on turn nine. Uh he tried to do I think you tried to do this. When you were on offense, right? You did a quick pass for some SPP, and that worked oh, yeah. out for you. He tried to do the same thing. Uh, he failed. <laughs> and not only did he try to do it, I, I think I think this was a little bit of an error where he tried to do it where he wasn't safe. And we often forget as coaches that there are two roles that you're rolling, at least two roles when you're rolling a pass. You're rolling for the pass, you're rolling for the catch. Sometimes you're also rolling for an interception. 
uh, either one of those can fail. And if the pass ends up being an inaccurate pass, it just gets chucked. <laughs> so he failed the roll and the ball just went up toward the line of scrimmage. And that gave you an opportunity to bear down on it. And that's exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of luck there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it was luck in so far as the dice didn't go Nick's way. But I don't think he should have gone for those, that SPP, at least not there. If you want to go for the SPP, he should have stayed back around his like 20 yard line to do it. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it ended up costing him. You were able to to capitalize on that. Uh, you did a really good job, I thought, of moving players in first before you picked up the ball. That way, if you couldn't pick up the ball like none of you guys could do in the first half, <laughs> uh, you would have some protection around the ball. And uh, that worked out in your favor. So I thought that was well done. Yeah, I always try and have at least a couple players around that can uh, catch a fumble if I'm going to be picking it up. Yes, yes, indeed. And we'll talk about that in a later game as well. Um, You were able to move the ball to the two-headed goblin on turn 10, and then you just bugged out of that that cage. And you Mm -hmm. moved laterally around the opposite side of the pitch. Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what I was thinking I was going to try and create another cage on the other side of the pitch, but then I think I uh, failed a dodge when I was trying to finish it up. Mm, yeah, I think that's right. And then the Nurgle Burger Boys, man, they were relentless on that with that pressure. They they just typically when we talk about opening up holes, you're opening up holes to move the ball down the pitch. He was able to open up holes to funnel players down pitch to just constantly apply pressure to your ball carrier just non-stop turn after turn he wouldn't let up and i thought that was i thought that was really good play on his part i think that was leveraging his strengths against your weaknesses he knew he had the strength advantage he knew he he would be able to get the blocks he knew if he could knock you down then you're weaker than him you're probably going to come off the pitch so i thought that was that was great play on his part absolutely uh, on turn 12, your your troll got KO'd. That was unfortunate. Yeah, I, I tend to use that troll as just kind of a roadblock to give myself a little bit of a safe space. I think that's a perfect use of the troll. It, lots of strength. It, it, it can be a problem. Um, what's, this, what's the movement on the troll? Is it four? I want to say it's five. Five. It, it could be four. not bad. Uh, regardless, uh, on turn 14... Uh, you were you went for the five plus pickup, failed the roll, spent the reroll. That worked out. Then you went for the long pass, and the long pass got intercepted by the rotter who was marking the thrower. That was <laughs> probably heartbreaking. It was a little bit. I was making kind of a desperation play at that point. I probably should have uh, taken the dodge first to avoid that but it felt like it was going to be about the same either way fair enough uh on turn 15 you'd be forced to try again you tried the negative pickup that was a six plus this time five plus (laughs) the first time six plus this time that didn't work out naturally but then something happens on turn 16 on turn 16 the nurgle burgle boys in my opinion they chose the wrong player to block shale shale it was the uh the would-be ball carrier, the guy that uh, had he remained standing on the pitch, 
that would be the goblin that you'd try to pick up and throw with on turn 16. Mm-hmm. He got a boat. He was, I think he had three marks on the goblin and he chose to block with the wrong, in my opinion, the wrong player. So what ended up happening, he had three marks on shale, but he had one player on the ball. He blocked with the player on the ball. And unfortunately for him, he got a both down result. He didn't have the reroll to reroll that. And so he knocked himself down. And because he knocked himself down, now that ball was free to pick up. And that's exactly what you did on turn 16. You went in, you picked up the ball, you went for the uh, the long bomb <laughs> and made it and tied the game up in turn 16. That was amazing. That was the first long bomb I've succeeded with. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah. I love those Skaven throwers. They do so well. <laughs> they're great. They're some of the, the the best in the game. I think they're fast. They've got, you know, they've got the thrower skills. Man, I, what else can you say about them? They're really good. Final thoughts on the game. I I thought uh, I thought Nick Satan really played, even though it came to a draw, I thought he played really well, really solidly in this game. And I think he's going to be a problem for everyone else in the division. Oh, especially if he gets that Nurgle team up to like 1500 TV, 1800 TV. Oh, there's, there's no way he's going to do that. He, I think, I think the most he'll get up is to 1200, but even then I'm scared. Every, every SPP earns, and you could see again at the beginning of the first half, or I'm sorry, at the beginning of the second half, he's, he's trying to get that SPP. Like he, he understands that he wants to pick up these, this SPP and he's going for it. So that's scary. And I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Once he gets block on those warriors, we're going to have a really hard time with him, I think. Uh, strength four with block. I don't, disgusting. I don't like it. I don't want to see it. <laughs> uh, but that game would end in a draw 1-1. One, one. Uh, congratulations on your turn 16 uh, bomb pass to, to tie the game up there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the next game of the week in Division A was Womb Guardians at Jingle All the Way. This is El Nuberino and Venger. So that's Kemri and Orc. Venger is the yes. current Dungeon Bowl champion. El Nuberino is already qualified for this year's Blood Bowl with uh, his reptile team, PPFC. Uh, Womb Guardians would be down on TV in this game, and they picked up a loony. They picked up Hack. And a babe, but he only had one reroll. Do you think Hack was a better pickup than an extra reroll, than extra team training? Absolutely not, but it's definitely more fun. <laughs> it certainly is more fun. The problem with Hack, of course, uh, being a chainsaw player, he's the chainsaw goblin star player, is that he's a secret weapon, right? So he's only out for a drive, and without a bribe to keep him out longer. And having only one reroll, that's that's not a lot of rerolls. Yeah, that's, I, that's really rough. <laughs> yeah, I would have picked up the extra reroll. Well, let, let's talk about Kemri for a second. So Kemri, their big weakness, well, the big strength is, are the Tomb Guardians. They have four of them, strength five. They're not that slow. They're really good. But their weakness, their obvious weakness, is that they are not agile. They're, they're skeletons and they're mummies. They're dead. They can't be agile. They have... AGs of one and two, they are less agile than lizard teams. So it's hard to pick up that ball. It's hard to get away from marks. Uh, that's the big, that's the big negative that El Nubrino needs to play around. 
Uh, and he's up against this orc team who loves to mark and who can take lots of blocks. So I think it was an interesting, interesting combination where you have a bashy team who wants to take marks. And then you've got this Kemri team who wants to keep players free, but also is not afraid to take marks with those Tomb Guardians. Like we've seen Nuberino. We've talked about this before, how you can kind of go one of two ways on offense with Kemri, right? You can just have the unstoppable cage that you just try mm-hmm. to plod down the pitch. Or you can send those Tomb Guardians out to exert pitch control and to just murder people. Uh, and he's been doing the latter. He, he's typically sending two Tomb Guardians out to cause havoc and then trying to move that ball carrier forward. And I think that's an interesting combination with the Orc team, where the, the Orc is your canonical, your typical bashy team. Uh, they're caging up on offense. They're opening up holes and running down pitch. Uh, and that makes it difficult for the Orc team, in my opinion, to play that standard game, right? Because if they're getting marked by Tomb Guardians, then they can't really keep that open up those holes and keep that cage intact. If uh, if they're not doing that, what else are they doing? They don't really have a passing game. Sure, anybody can pass. It's, it's Blood Bowl. Anybody can do anything. But he doesn't really have a passing game to threaten this Camry team with. So I think the right strategy for Nuberino going into this game was to say, all right, you, you like to mark? Let's mark. Let's go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie everyone down. And where are you going to go? Sure, maybe you can block a skeleton or two. Fine, but where are you going to go? And that's exactly what he did. And I think I think that was really smart on his part because, as as we'll talk about in a second, we we saw Jingles all the way had nowhere to go on offense. They spent almost a whole half just trying to cross the line of scrimmage. So I I think it was brilliant play by Elden Bruno. Yeah, I I kind of feel like with Kemri, it's almost a good idea to pull back into your own half and let them kind of come to you first to figure out where they're going to go and then try and work around that. Sure. I think that's a fair tactic. Uh, Jingles all the way had a a little bit of good fortune on turn one. They KO'd one of those four tomb guardians that, that felt like a portent of things to come. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Uh, On turn two, uh, hat got KO'd. So, uh, that he was gone. So how chainsaw works is hack the chainsaw player. The loony doesn't have to make the block roll. It's just a straight armor roll. He has to roll a D six first on a one. The chainsaw kicks back on him. Otherwise it's just an armor roll and he gets a plus three. So that's very, very scary. The flip side is anybody who blocks down hack while they still have to make the block roll, they get the plus three. It's because hacks, not the danger the chainsaw is the danger. So uh, Hack ended up getting KO'd on turn two, and that was it. That was the inducement money gone, just evaporated into the ether. And I thought that was uh, unfortunate, but also fairly likely. I mean, that's a, there's a pretty big target on the back of a chainsaw player who's a goblin, he's fragile, has low AV, and is super, super deadly. So if the opposing team can take a block, he's going to take a block. Absolutely. And forgive me for asking, I don't believe Hack has block the way a couple of the other chainsaw star players does you're absolutely right he does not have block yeah not having block on a chainsaw definitely makes them more vulnerable yeah that's a very good point i didn't even consider that uh, hack doesn't have block he doesn't have block to make him a little bit safer on those on those blocks block of course means on a both down result you don't have to go down 
Yeah, I didn't even realize that. That's 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 big. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like when I'm using a chainsaw, it's almost a great idea to create a cage around the chainsaw player to protect them as much as possible because they are incredibly easy to take off the pitch. Yeah, and we've seen uh, we saw Clifius do that with Play It by Nuffle in the Spike Magazine Trophy on turn four. Uh, Tomb Guardians would lose the ball with their loose cage. They weren't going with that tight cage. They were going with that loose cage. They were sending out those Tomb Guardians. Uh, and that allowed Jingles all the way to steal the ball away with a goblin. Those those goblins, as as we know, they're stunty. They have dodge. They can they can dodge right through a, a line fairly easily and then just run away. So they're scary when you give them a lane to move to and not having somebody back in the secondary who can really fight off the goblins if they pick up the ball. Uh, on turn six, the Loom Guardians would get a mark on that downfield ball carrier goblin. That touchdown seemed like a sure thing. Uh, all he could get was the mark. He couldn't get the blitz. But then the goblin failed the dodge. <laughs> well, that's, that's heartbreaking. It Having is. that automatic reroll and failing it hurts so much. <laughs> Not only did he fail it, he uh, he knocked himself out. <laughs> uh, so so that seemed like a sure score for Jingles All the Way. Didn't work out. On turn eight, Womb Guardians would attempt uh, to try to recover from this. They would try a 40-yard touchdown. They don't have a reroll left. Remember, they started the game with one. So they ended up picking up the ball now that that goblin was KO'd. They moved it down pitch to center pitch. They did a handoff. They moved the the new ball carrier forward. It was going to be a short pass. Two GFIs would make it a quick pass. A quick pass would make it a 50-50. He went for it. Succeeded on both GFIs. It was all down to a 50-50 on the pass. <laughs> Failed the pass. But man, that was a fantastic effort by El Nuberino to try to recover from what seemed like he was going to go down 1-0 to on the half that he was on offense. <laughs> it's like playing elves with Kemri. It was just, it was so fun to watch. I'm I'm kind of sad he didn't succeed. <laughs> it was that would have been a huge touchdown. It's always those big plays that you're rooting for. <laughs> right, right. They're always super fun to watch and uh uh that I think that was good presence of mind with him too to have the players into in position ahead of time to allow that play to happen, right? You want to make sure on turn eight you have somebody in scoring position. He was so far away from the pitch. He also needed to make sure he had somebody that was available for the handoff. He had those players ready to go. And he almost scored. Jingles all the way would be on offense in the second half. It was 0-0 at the half. Uh, Womb Guardians, as we talked about earlier, uh, El Nuberino was applying really good pressure with those two Tomb Guardians ultimately forcing Jingles all the way into a full retreat. Jingles all the way, moved the ball up uh, maybe about a quarter of the way up the pitch, a third of the way up the pitch. They had nowhere to go. They said, you know what? I'm out of here. Ran the ball carrier all the way back down his side of the pitch to his own eight-yard line. So you could see uh, Wenger got a little spooked there and was like, I don't have anywhere to go. I need to keep the ball carrier safe until I can find somewhere to go. El Nuberino taking those marks, applying really good pressure, especially with those two Tomb Guardians. I, again, I think this was the right the right way to go and, and really smart on his part. 
Yeah, I also feel like it's really smart on Fenger's part to pull back like that. Yeah, you can for sure. That that's actually a great point. It it can often often feel like uh, you're losing quote unquote points or you're losing something. Like you're you're people have a natural tendency to not want to go backwards in in anything, right? You don't want to go backwards in work. You don't want to go backwards in Blood Bowl. Uh, so people have a natural tendency to avoid that. But sometimes you've just got to cut your losses. You're like, you know what? I'm, I'm moving backwards. I'm going to take what I have and secure it and give up my position because I'm in danger of losing the ball. So good, smart, plain old good Blood Bowl play there by Wenger, I thought. Yeah. Also, trying to separate the Kemri team is probably the best idea get the slower players away from the faster players you're able oh, to the point. pick them off one at a time a little easier uh yeah i think that's a that's a good point however el nubarino was doing a good good job for his part maybe not doing the exact same thing but he was he was keeping that pressure up and preventing jingles all the way from caging up like he had yes. nowhere to set up a cage it was it was great on his part. By turn fourteen, Jiggles all the way had yet to lost uh, yet to cross the line of scrimmage. So that's six turns where he could not get past center pitch. That's a testament to this Kemry defense and how well El Nimbarino did with it. Uh, couldn't get that cage together. I feel like he was getting a little tilted. Uh, he ended up taking a both down result without spending the reroll, which allowed the Womb Guardians to successful, uh, successfully blitz down the ball carrier. Do you think that actually was an error, or do you think that was some tactical play? I think he might have been trying to conserve those uh, re-rolls for when he absolutely needed them, but just missed that it was going to be necessary there. Fair enough. After after a good play by the Womb Guardians, <laughs> he tried to get on that ball. <laughs> he tried they tried to get two GFIs to get on the ball. And as we all know, GFIs fail approximately, if we do the estimate, 900% of the time. Uh, he, he probably could have gotten away with one GFI if he just wanted to get tackle zones in between Jiggles All the Way and the Womb Guardians. Instead, he wanted to get on the ball. He failed that second GFI, he got KO'd, and that left the ball open for pickup. Jiggles all the way would pass, uh, would take advantage of that to end up passing to a handoff to score in turn 15. That would win them the game 1-0. to zero. What did you think about this game? I, I thought, despite the fact that Womb Guardians lost this game, uh, I think their defense was impeccable. I think I think the fact in the first half that they had a scoring opportunity from so far away uh, was just really well done. I, I think Elder Barino is taking what I consider a bad team and and making the most out of it. Yeah, he's been playing them really defensively, and I think it really works for him. Well, Wenger ends up winning this one, and of course he does. He is, again, the Dungeon Bowl champion so he is always going to be a threat and another player i do not look forward to playing in this division he's great he is great <laughs> final game in division a is take the wood take the bad at tainted cocktails that's my team take the wood take the bad wood elves versus malik's chaos team so wood elves versus malik uh, there were no inducements in this game and take the wood take the bad would be on defense to start Pretty nondescript first quarter. 
take the wood, take the bad, setting up with a two-deep defense like you do as elves, generally speaking. Malik as a chaos team, hunting for those those blitzes, taking those marks, trying to move that cage down pitch. Take the wood, take the bad, did misplace their kicker. So a kicker uh, makes a kick a lot more accurate. Generally, the ball just kind of goes wherever it wants. Uh, but a kicker allows you to really place that ball where you want it to be on the kick. But the kicker cannot be in either wide zone and can't be on the line. So I ended up setting the kicker off in the wide zone by accident. And that meant I couldn't use the kicker. But apparently there is a bug in Blood Bowl 2 where if you don't set up the kicker in a legal position, the game's going to choose somebody else to be your kicker, to be the person who does the kicking. And that will be the player who kicks forevermore, provided he's on the pitch. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah. So if you set the kicker up in an illegal position in the first half, or in one drive, then in a future drive, he will never be able to kick again, provided that other player's on the pitch. Oh, that's so, really rough. It is. It's it's something to keep in mind, <laughs> especially like all that money you put into a kicker. And kickers are really useful for elven teams because elven teams tend to be so fast that they can either kick shallow and then just snatch the ball away from the offense, or they can be up against a really menacing kill team and just kick the ball deep and not have to take those kill shots for a few turns. Uh, so that was unfortunate. That was an unfortunate mistake by me that ended up costing me a kicker all game long. Anyhow, on turn four, Tate Cocktails was able to move their cage forward, uh, but I think this was a mistake on his part. He ended up moving the cage forward and had the front of his cage marked. So taking the marks can be fine, but when the cage is marked, now those players are not lending assists. So that allowed me to do the thing that everybody in the league loves to see. <laughs> That's the, the War Dancer Leap Blitz. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. With that strip ball. That's right. So my, the front of the cage already marked. Might as well move the war dancer in uh, and and try to try to get the ball out of the ball carrier's hands. And that's exactly what we did. We moved in for the leaps, uh, the leap blitz. Got the push that stripped the ball out of the hands of the player. Now this was a rainy game, so the rain makes passing or it makes ball handling skills. I I always call them passing skills, but ball handling skills a minus one. So. Rain really sucks for the Wood Elf team, but it also sucks for, for picking up the ball. So once the ball was on the ground, we decided, all right, that's good enough. We're just going to hang back a bit, right? So if, if we think back to the beginning of the half, we set up too deep. We're just trying to keep, keep a space off of this chaos team. Uh, we'll take the blocks that we can, but otherwise we want to hold him to a blitz. And now that the ball's on the ground... We don't have to go hardcore in to try to score. We just need to keep him from scoring. So we decided, you know what? Keep the ball on the ground. We'll, we'll apply some pressure, but we're not going to go whole hog in on this ball. And that's the way it stayed for basically the remainder of the half. There was the final half where take the, or the final turn, were, uh, turn seven, where take the way, take the bat was able to pick up the ball. And then... Tainted Cocktails on turn eight was able to get it back, but nobody could score at that point. That's totally fine by us, right? So long as we stop that other team from scoring, when it's our turn up at bat, so to speak, when it's our turn on offense, we're going to score. <laughs> so that was our intention there. Uh, and I, I think it worked out 
fairly well. Definitely agree. On the second half, Take the Wood, Take the Bad would be down four players. Again, everybody on this team has an AV of seven, so you're going to lose players. Uh, they'd be down four. They'd be on offense. And then there was the kickoff event. So remember, the, the kicker bug prevents the kicker from being used. So once we score, we're going to have to be careful with our kick coming back. But on the kickoff event, it was a pitch invasion. <laughs> two Wood Elves, two Elves on the line were stunned. One Beastman in the right wide zone was stunned. So now not only are we down four players, we're down two more right at the line. There's a big gap right on the line where Tainted Cocktails can just descend with a thousand furies if they want to. That's always rough when you have a lower strength team. It is. It is. Uh, that forced us, a force take the wood, take the bad, to have to delay a turn. So when we went for the ball pickup, we could not move forward. We had to make sure we ended up outside of blitzing range. So we just hung back near the end zone. I think we hung back near the six yard line. And we're like, you know what? Let's get our players back. Uh, let's send our, our receiver contingent uh, down pitch. And let's just try, try to manipulate the pitch at this point. So take the wood, take the bad. Sent one receiver contingent down the left wide zone. That's a war dancer and a lineman. You'll often see me do this a lot. Uh, if I have enough players, there'll be two, one down either wide zone typically. Uh, but you might ask yourself, why the war dancer? Why is the war dancer a receiver? Uh, and the reason for that is the war dancer has blotch. He has block and dodge. So he's very hard to take down. These are skills that you tend to pick up on catchers, right? You want block and dodge just to keep them on their feet. But he also has leap and he has AG4. So he's a great catcher. He's hard to take down. And the only way you're keeping him from moving, thanks to leap, is to have to dedicate an inordinate number of players to him and stagger them in such a way that he can only leap into tackle zones, forcing a dodge after the leap. So that's why the War Dancer is always going down pitch. Strength four in that War Dancer is just a menace. Yes, so that's the War Dancer who has strength four as well. <laughs> that, makes him, that makes him great. <laughs> it keeps you him, should be ashamed so sure, of can... yourself. <laughs> sure, it, it's, uh, it lets him get the two-die block easily, but... More importantly, it means it's that many more players that have to be dedicated to taking him down. Oh, and with with Blodge and Strength 4, it's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on turn 9 at the beginning of the half, uh, Tate Cocktails decided to dedicate four players to the War Dancer. I thought that was far too many, specifically because the War Dancers can just leap away. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Again, tackle zones are a better way to shut down War Dancers Make sure that the only place they can get to is a place they need to dodge away from. It's it's just more dice that they have to roll. Especially if you can get two tackle zones where they actually need to leap. Right, right. Exactly right. And that's really hard to do. You're dedicating so many players to that. And you've got to make sure that you're directing where the war dancer can go. And that's just really hard to do. On turn 10, Tainted Cocktails decided to put a fifth player onto the war dancer. I think that I thought four was too many. Five was a lot. That's that's nearly half a team. And that gave take the wood, take the bat a lot of pitch to work with. They could decide what direction they wanted to go. Granted, Tate Cocktails was still marching players, marching uh, chaos warriors toward the ball carrier. But the ball carrier is super fast. Like nobody's going to catch him. 
And uh, it really allowed Take the Wood, Take the Bad to have options where they wanted to go on the pitch. And they took those options. They ended up going down the right side of the pitch. They ended up having to move forward eventually just due to the lack of protection they had on the ball carrier, right? Uh, They were down four players. They didn't really have players to, to keep that ball intact for a running game. They had the contingent down pitch to receive the ball. They had to move the ball. It was raining, though, so passing <laughs> is very risky. So they ended up having a player in a position for the handoff. The handoff succeeded. They got the ball down pitch. Man, you really have to be careful with a team like a, an Elfin team or a Skaven team with their speed. Like They can cover a lot of ground. Uh, we've had a lot of weather this week, too. I love it. We did. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had sweltering heat. And snow and rain. Yeah. It's been great. (laughs) (laughs) On turn 12, Tainted Cocktails had six players down pitch, this time on the ball carrier, and that included the Minotaur. So he had the big guy down there as well. It looked like there was nowhere for the ball carrier to go, but remember the War Dancer, another skill that I didn't mention that he has, is Dauntless. So a player came in for the assist, the War Dancer dodged out to take the block on the Minotaur, Dauntless worked out. Two die blitz, got the push. We were looking for a little bit more out of that, but that was fine. The push was fine. They at least gave the ball carrier somewhere to go. Uh, it gave him a decent t- uh, chance of dodging away. He had to make two dodges, one at a three plus, one at a two plus. It worked out. Take the wood, take the bad. Move the ball laterally back to center pitch. They're, they're at the 18-ish yard line at this point. And then they moved two players in a position next to the ball carrier. So the lineman that was originally with the war dancer got knocked down and Tainted Cocktails decided to go for the foul on that player and it didn't work out and they got called off the pitch. I think that was a bad foul attempt. I thought it was a mistake. Yeah. When you're up so many players like that, don't risk losing another player in my opinion. But that left that player free and clear while the rest of that contingent that kept growing was following the war dancer to the other side of the pitch. But now that the ball carrier was free, that down player stood up, got next to the ball carrier. We GFI'd another player next to the ball carrier because we were absolutely going to eat a blitz. Uh, But that gave us more options for the scatter. And, you know, maybe Nuffle is kind and scatters the ball into the hands of a... Of a uh, of an elf, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Tainted cocktails went for the blitz. Uh, they went for the blitz first. I thought that was an error. Uh, they got the assist. They went for the blitz, but they had four other players they could have moved into position to try to get some tackle zones between take the wood, take the bad, and the end zone. Before that, they ended up taking the blitz first, though that didn't work out. The ball would scatter in the hands of the elf, and that just gave them a positive dodge to walk into the end zone. Take the wood, take the bad would score. And uh, win the game one to zero. Uh, what are your thoughts on that game and how that how that went down? Oh, that was that was a great game to watch. Um, with the rain making it harder for the Wood Elves to pass. Man, that rain! I was I was irritated. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it it really added uh, some extra drama to what could happen. I thought you did sure. a really good job of pulling it out. Thank you. And I think uh, I think Malik, watching his journey with this team all season long, I think this is his first chaos team. And watching him get the hang of it is uh, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's not annoying. It's great to watch. But man, he's getting better. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't want the competition. <laughs> so. Uh, I think he's one to watch out for here. Again, we've talked about it before. I think uh, he needs to pick up some SVP while he can. Um, but at some point, 
needs to pull the trigger and uh, just go for the, those wins. He was going for the win uh, in this game. Uh, didn't work out, but he's really getting the hang of this this chaos team. And that knowing how to play a chaos team, those are skills that propagate to other teams, right? Because that's that's fundamental blood bowl stuff that you're learning. Yeah, and you have to play a really clean game. I feel like to skill it up in the first place. Yeah, good point. Do you want to discuss uh, Dauntless a little bit? Because that's a pretty interesting skill. That- that you took on sure that. dauntless dauntless is uh, a skill that lets you roll a die you add it to your strength i think and then if you meet or beat your opponent's strength then you equal your opponent's strength and so effectively what dauntless does it allows you to get a one die block on just about anybody and so you only need the one assist to make it a two die block now typically i wouldn't pick up dauntless on a war dancer but what ended up happening was uh, i picked up dauntless uh, and then got the strength four. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up having both. And it, it worked out in this in this case. I was wondering how that happened, because it doesn't seem like you would normally take Dauntless on a strength four player. Right. <laughs> I had Dauntless first. <laughs> and I was like, cool. And then I had the opportunity to take strength four. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I ended up taking the strength four. <laughs> it's an odd decision, but I'm glad it worked for you. Yeah, it, it's honestly, it's just wasted TV. I think it's, it's TV that's working against me. Uh, I just don't, I, I, I can't get rid of that word answer. Not at this point. <laughs> I just can't. So it's TV that's, we're just going to have to eat, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, first game in Division B, that would be Pity the Ghoul at Bonsai Legends. Pity the Ghoul coached by, uh, by Dead Fred, that terrifying Necro team up against Bonsai Legends, which is the, the new Underworld team, uh, and that is coached by Berserker Tempest, uh, newcomer to the to the league. Really fun player to watch. Yeah, uh, he's up against this terrifying mid-TV Necro team. He's got a new Underworld team. Uh, that means he has a lot of inducement cash, right? Like, I think Underworld is pretty weak at low TV, but the advantage is he can take all the inducements in the world. So he ended up taking a Master Chef, two babes, and Bomber. Bomber Dribblesnot, the Grenadier. That Master Chef was a great pickup. Was that not a great pickup? He's done so well with the Master Chef. <laughs> it's not Such something I would pickup. take. Yeah, it's not something I would take on a non-halfling team, but every time he takes it, it seems like it really works out for him. Halfling Master Chef, you get to steal up to three rerolls from your opponent. Uh, three is typically where your opponents are going to be. Pity the Ghoul had three. He said, you know what, I'm taking a chef. Ended up stealing two for turn one. So now he's up to something like four, four or five TRRs. And more importantly, Pity the Ghoul's down to one. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, you mentioned not picking it up unless it's a halfling team that's because master chefs are very expensive they're 300,000 gold for everyone except halflings and then it's uh, 100,000 gold uh, but regardless of that fact I-, I thought that was such a good pickup such a good pickup to to really have that reroll control he's shown me just how useful it can be yeah I, such a oh I, I was so happy with that <laughs> uh, I don't like the pickup of Bomber Dribblesnot, though. I don't like Bomber Dribblesnot in general. He is a goblin grenadier that makes him a a, uh, a secret weapon. He only has a drive out on the pitch. 
he ended up getting surfed on turn three. And that's just, that's inducement money that evaporated, I thought. Yeah, he's cheap though. And he has accurate, which makes him just so much better than a normal goblin bomber. That's actually a great point. He is cheap and uh, accurate gives you a plus one on passes. The grenades are actually passes. Like you have to roll for the pass. They can be intercepted and they can be chucked back at you. Uh, so that's that's a great point. Uh, he did try to make good use of it for the short time he was out on the pitch, but ended up getting served. Those secret weapons can be devastating if they're not dealt with early. So you'll typically see them dealt with early. And that's exactly what Dead Fred did with this player. Pity the Ghoul, Dead Fred's team, really solid first drive. Remember, he's got these these two werewolves that are scary. He's got MacGyver, the level four ghoul. He's got the two flesh golems. Just an absolutely terrifying team. He made great use of those positionals, made great use of the werewolves, made great use of the flesh golems. He was able to stall until turn six. He'd take the lead easily one to zero in the first half. Bonsai Legends would use the remaining time to just pick up some SPP. Again, always a good call. Always always good when coaches are mindful of picking up the SPP and getting him on the players that they wanted to. Yeah, that one, <laughs> that one SPP, it doesn't seem like it's much, but... It can give you that first level if you get the MVP on that player. Absolutely. It's six to level up to level two, five for MVP. Always good to pick up some SVP when you can. In the second half, Pity the Ghoul... So MasterChef has to get re-rolled before each half. In the second half, Pity the Ghoul would only lose one re-roll instead of two. Thankfully, I guess. Thankfully, quote unquote. <laughs> um, but Bonsai Legends would, would start off the drive with a lost turn due to a failed troll block. Big guys. Big guys are almost always loners. And if you start the drive with a big guy and fail the roll, that's a 50-50 shot of being a lost turn. What do you think about him starting the drive with the troll block? It's a mistake I make all the time. It's really easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> Something I've been trying to get better at, but, oh man, that temptation to throw a, a good block with a high strength character when the rest of your team is pretty low strength really hard to overcome yeah it, it's very true I, I i know that very well with having an ogre on my human teams <laughs> but sometimes sometimes it's better to just have that player standing don't take the block or if you're going to take the block wait until the end of the turn and just exert tackle zones uh, but that ended up being a lost turn and on, then on turn 10 bonsai legends was able to cross the line of scrimmage uh, but couldn't get enough protection to stop the frenzy blitz by the werewolf do you think Bonsai Legends was too aggressive going after the ball. Like, with such a fragile team, should you get... Is there ever an opportunity, or is there ever a time to be so aggressive that you just go for the ball and hope you don't get knocked down? It really depends on the team that you're going up against. Uh, against a stunty team or something like that. Can't ever get too aggressive, in my opinion. But with this Necro team being as crazy as it is... It's it's rough. <laughs> you have to really, really make sure you're playing defensively against them. Sure enough, on turn 11, Pity the Ghoul was not afraid to blitz with that werewolf, and they did it. Remember, the werewolf has frenzy. They blitzed the ball carrier. Really good play by Pity the, Pity the Ghoul. Uh, Bonsai Legends would end up losing uh, turn 12 to a failed troll block again. And this one, unfortunately for them, would lead to a score by Pity the Ghoul. They would end up winning this game. Two to zero. Underworld versus, well, no, let, let's say low TV Underworld versus a mid TV Necro team in general. 
you got to give that to the Necro team, right? That's a really rough matchup for the Underworld team. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Bonsai Legends uh, had an interesting tactic trying to get aggressive with it and trying to, to go after that ball. But when you're when you're brittle, man, it, it just sometimes doesn't work out. And uh, <laughs> Pinnacle took advantage of it in this game and they uh, came out ahead two to zero. Yeah, I can't wait until we can talk about the week three uh, <laughs> or the week three uh, Bonsai Legends game, because that one was one to watch. <laughs> that one was really fun to watch. But shh, 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 sh- let's not spoil it. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> uh, second game in Division B for week two is Petting Zoo Players at Genus Chaos, another newcomer to the league. This one is Doug the Minotaur. It's his Dark Elf team. Versus War Horseman's Chaos Team. War Horseman's Chaos Team has yet to to level, to gain significant SPP. The Dark Elf Team at low TV as well. But uh, in this matchup, both teams at low TV, I, I give the advantage just on paper to the Dark Elf Team. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're so fast. They, got, they have that Witch Elf, which is terrifying. Speaking of that Witch Elf, uh, Petting Zoo players set the Witch Elf up on the line for the first drive of the game, they would be on offense, but immediately pulled her back on turn one. Can you think of any reason why he would have done that? I wouldn't have put her on the line at all. Yeah, it's it's tough. Nice thing about having her up there on offense is you get just one more turn to take a block with her and maybe gain some SPP. But yeah, it's, it's a fragile player to have up on there. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you want to pick up the SPP, that's... That's where you want to be to make those blocks, get two SVP on the injury. But Petting Zoo players would end up with a, a DACA for three turns. So we'll, I, I mentioned this on stream. Let's talk about this a little bit. The, the DACA, right? This is a, a tactic where if you're a fragile, fast team, say an Elven team or a Skaven team, you're on offense. Instead of moving the ball forward like you would expect a normal human being to do, <laughs> you move backwards. You move towards your own end zone. And, and people on stream were saying, like, I have no idea what's happening. What's going on? And the reason you'd want to do this is uh, think back to the take the wood, take the bad game where we set up too deep and we're always staying off of the offensive line, off of the offensive formation. We're trying not to give up blocks. This is a way to do that, right? This is a way to do that by just running away. But not just that, by doing that, you are, you're a fast, agile team as a Dark Elf team. You can score very quickly, but scoring very quickly means you're giving up a lot of turns to your opponent to try to score in the same half, and you generally don't want to do that. So by moving back to your own end zone, he ended up effectively stalling for three turns. That's three extra turns that he's eating up before he scores, giving Genus Chaos that many less turns to score when they pick up the ball. And I thought this was really smart by Doug the Minotaur. Yeah, I didn't realize that had a name. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's named after a guy named Mike Daka. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's who it's named after. Petting Zoo players with this Dark Elf team, uh, they were really aggressive, and they used their fast movement to get behind the defense and uh, get between the ball carrier and the defense and the defense was just never able to recover. Petting Zoo players was able to not only stall at the beginning of the half for three turns, they were able to stall and score in turn eight. Really well done by Petting Zoo players. Really, really impressive how he was able to stall in the beginning and then just immediately use that speed to get 
behind the defensive line and give them nowhere to go, right? They don't have an AG of four. There's, they can't, if they're marked or if there's somebody in the way, they're going to have to stop or, or take a, take a blitz or something. So really well done by him. He didn't need to protect the ball carrier. He just needed to send him all the way down the pitch to score on turn eight. A uh, really good first half there by, uh, by Doug the Minotaur, I thought. Yeah, it's definitely good to see after the previous week. Uh, yeah, after <laughs> after the crushing, which happens when you're weak, or weak as in a, a low AV. Uh, in the second half, Genus Chaos would be on offense. This will be their chance to score. They set up with a big gap in the line on the left side. So they set up three players, maybe four players on the right side. Huge gap on the left side. I couldn't see any reason for this. Do you think? I, I know he was down a number of players, but is there any reason you could see why he'd leave center pitch wide open like that? He might have just been underestimating the Dark Elf speed. Fair enough. Uh, on turn nine, Genus Chaos would fail a block with the Journeyman. This is uh, the exact same problem when you take a block with a, with a big guy that has loner. Journeyman come with loner. He failed a block with the Journeyman, failed the loner roll. He ended up losing turn nine. And that would give Petting Zoo players the momentum to, again, uh, get behind that line, this time behind the offensive line, leverage that huge gap in the line, and get on the ball. Uh, by turn 12, they'd end up uh, quick passing for some SPP on the Witch Elf. This was before they scored. They actually moved the Witch Elf away from the end zone to get that SPP. Again, I thought this was really smart SPP play, especially at this point in the season. He's in the final open competition of the season. He's a brand new team. He wants to pick up that SPP. He said, you know what? I can do it right now. Uh, really well done by Doug the Minotaur. Yeah, having 4AG definitely makes that a lot safer. It does indeed. <laughs> it's 2+. plus. Uh, final drive. So uh, Petting Zoo players would uh, end up scoring again. Uh, and then on the final drive of the game, Chaos uh, Genus Chaos was at a significant player disadvantage. I thought what they needed to do at this point was really threaten the pass, no matter how unlikely it was. Because he was at such a player disadvantage, he needed to force that Elven defense to spread out. Uh, instead, he went back to his Chaos roots. Uh, he tried to cage up down pitch, but he had nobody left on the team other than his cage. This allowed the defense to just encircle the offense, to entomb the offense. <laughs> and there was nowhere for Petting Zoo, uh, there was nowhere for Genus Chaos to go at that point. Petting Zoo players would knock the ball free. They would end up scoring one more time to win this game. Three to zero. And speaking of SPP, they picked up 24 SPP. That's a crazy What amount. a showing. I know. Doug the Minutes are showing uh, he knows how to play this team. Very well done. I, I thought the SPP play is really smart. Uh, I thought his tactic of using his speed to get behind the uh, opposing team was really smart. And it, it paid off in spades for him in this game. Yeah. Uh, it's really rough to recover once you're down players against an elf team like that it yeah it sure is <laughs> and the converse is not true right like elven right elven teams expect to be down players and they can still be very effective on offense final week of the final week of the game final game of the week is uh tracksuit mafia knee had enough two excellent coaches this of course is division b tracksuit mafia coached by merrick this is a chaos team this is a scary perhaps the scariest chaos team in the competition against uh, Clyphus, Nihad Enuffle. Clyphus is the Chaos Cup champion. Uh, Nihad Enuffle, a Chaos Dwarven team. 
Nika Adenuffel would be down on TV. They'd pick up a babe and Nabla. They'd also pick up a bribe to keep Nabla on the pitch. So Nabla is, of course, the Goblin Looney, the chainsaw player. But here's the thing. On turn two, he tried to foul with Nabla. He wasn't able to succeed on the foul. He got called off the pitch. He had to spend the bribe there. Do you think he should have fouled with Nabla or should he have saved that bribe to keep Nabla on the pitch for a drive longer? Oh, I absolutely think he should have fouled with him. Really? Yeah, it's what, an extra three on the AV roll when you foul with the it chainsaw? Is. And it makes it that much more likely to take a player off the pitch. Fair enough. I I would not have done that. I, <laughs> I absolutely would have kept Nabla out there uh, blitzing and blocking for another drive. Um, but again, it's another it's another secret weapon that got called off the pitch early. Uh, and that was the end end of his game. Or not call off the pitch, but had a short had a short run in the game. Um, he'd end up getting KO'd, I think, uh, later in the half. Uh, but tracksuit mafia. Let's talk about this defense. Tracksuit mafia did a marvelous job with their defense here. They kept, so this is a chaos team, uh, not terribly fast, needs to be careful. He's not terribly slow either, but needs to be careful of the bull centaurs who are mind boggling, mind bogglingly fast. That's a tongue twister. Uh, they have an enemy of six. They have sure feet. They have sprint. That gives them three GFIs. They get a reroll on one of those GFIs. Really fast players. That's off a strength of four. So if they get the ball, really tough to take down. Tracksuit Mafia did not fall in the trap of a chaos team. Chaos teams often like to get aggressive, take those marks, set up for a turn full of blocks. Uh, he said, no way. I'm keeping my defensive line intact. He did that all half long. Not only did he keep that defensive line intact, but Clytheus, who is typically a pitch control player, right? He likes to pick off players, encircle them, and take them out of the drive. He likes to say, move a player out of position, get somebody between that player and where the action is, and now that player is no good for the rest of the drive. Clytheus couldn't do that. He tried to pick off the Minotaur, and uh, Merrick, Tracksuit Mafia, said, nope, I'm going to stand that Minotaur up, blitz with him. Uh, now he's back in formation. You can't get past me. Really good defense here, I thought, by Tracksuit Mafia. What did you think about his defensive tactics here with uh, not getting super aggressive on the blocks and instead just keeping that line intact? I think it was a really good idea. Um, Clypheus has all that guard, which makes him that much more of a threat, even against the four-strength uh, Chaos Warriors. So it would be really rough to just turn it into a scrum in the middle of the pitch yeah that's a great point he does have all that guard yeah that's a really great point so even better for merrick man this this is why i'm not as good as these guys (laughs) (laughs) man really really smart really well done uh by merrick and good insight there with the guard too i thought tracksuit mafia also did a really good job remember those bull centaurs are very fast and so he said, uh, as he saw the the action kind of slide off to the right wide zone, he kept two players back in the safety position, just in case, just in case somebody got away. He had players back there to defend against a breakaway run. All in all, an exemplary defense here by Tracksuit Mafia. Uh, Nihad Enuffo couldn't get anything going, would end up uh, not scoring on the half. And that is full kudos to Merrick, I think, with that defense. Really well done. Definitely. 
In the second half of the game, Tracksuit Mafia would be on offense, but uh, Nehide and Uffle would see themselves with a four-man player advantage. That's a lot of players. On turn 10, Nehide and Uffle would leverage that player advantage. They would encircle the ball carrier. You see Clyphus do this a lot. We just talked about how he likes to do that. This time, of course, it's the ball carrier instead of just a random player. Uh, he'd spend his last uh, re-roll on a 75% chance, uh, Tracksuit Mafia, rather, would spend his last re-roll on a 75% chance to dodge with the ball carrier. So Nehide and Uffle encircles the ball carrier. The turn's handed over to Tracksuit Mafia. They really have nothing to do with the ball carrier. They have to dodge away. It's a 50-50 dodge. They spend their final re-roll to make it a 75%. It didn't work out for them. Failed the turn. Nehide and Uffle would end up uh, being able to score with the Bull Centaur on turn 12 because of that. So, uh, you know, that's Clyphus just seeing uh, the advantage that he has. And that's something uh, that coaches learn to do in, in Blood Bowl, right? You... There's so many things, so many variables to keep track of, especially when you're on a two-minute timer with each turn. For Clyphus to say, you know what? I've got the player advantage. I can move my players where I want. I'm going to open up a hole. I'm going to move a bunch of players to his ball carrier. I'm going to make him roll his dice, maybe end up eating up his last re-roll. And that's exactly what he did. Textbook was perfect. He was able to score with that. That's Clyphus for you, right? Yeah. All right. Well, then on the on the next drive, Nihad and Uffle would only be down two players. So uh, Tracksuit Mafia would get back two KO. So uh, there's a far cry between being having a four player deficit and a two player deficit. So now Tracksuit Mafia can get a little more of a game going, but they're running out of time. They've got one quarter left to try to score and they're not particularly fast. So uh, under the gun, Tracksuit Mafia uh, tries a gambit, which I thought was smart. Uh, he tried to set a tight cage at center pitch because that's what he would typically do. He'd say, I, I want to cage up at center pitch. That gives me plenty of movement options. Come at me, bro. And Nehide and Nuffle did exactly that. <laughs> he, he came <laughs> at, at him. But then Tracksuit Mafia said, actually, I'm just kidding. I'm going to run out to the white, uh, the right wide zone. I'm just going to send a ball carrier down pitch. See you later. See you, suckers. Now, Nihad and Uffle had two players back in the safety position ready for this. He had a goblin. He had a bull centaur. But uh, they ended up getting three marks on the ball carrier. They get one in front of the ball carrier. So the ball carrier is in the right wide zone. They get one mark in front of the ball carrier, one to the left of the ball carrier, the sidelines to the right, and they get one directly behind the ball carrier. So you can imagine these three points, three uh, orthogonal marks. I thought this was a mistake personally. So he ended up, I think it was the bull centaur that was the point opposite the sideline. I think if he would have moved that bull centaur one space forward or, or back, I guess, one space toward the front of the ball carrier, that would have been better. Because what ended up happening was this allowed Tracksuit Mafia to get a mark on both of those players to then get the blitz to allow the ball carrier to dodge away to score. Uh, if Nehide and Uffle would have had that that second mark just one space back, then the blitz would have had to been taken on that back player only, and then it would have been three dodges for uh, Tracksuit Mafia to score. Do you agree? Do you think he would have been better served by having that player back, or do you think it was perfectly adequate to take those three marks in the way that he did? I feel like he missed the fact that the uh, ball carrier had horns there because 
That's mm. always something to, or something I can easily see forgetting. Instead of being a one die block, it'll make a two die block. It just right. really makes it that much easier to get free. Yeah, speaking of uh, having so many things to consider in that two minute time limit, that's another thing to consider. You've got to keep those skills in mind, and, and the horns are, are what gave him that two die blitz. But uh, then the brakes. <laughs> yeah. So it's always tough to make sure that you have a ball carrier on lockdown when you're trying to just hold them in place with tackle zones. That's true. It's very true. Uh, it's also hard to envision like where the tackle zone should be and where the ball carrier might go. Um, but that will do it. Uh, Tracksuit Mafia would end up scoring and uh, tie the ball game one to one. So uh, I thought that was a super fun game. Um, I I thought. Uh, I really thought Merrick's defense was just superlative. Uh, I thought Nehi to Nuffle in that first drive of the second half, uh, just really capitalizing on that four-man player advantage to score uh, was perfect. Uh, a really good game that uh, just came down to a draw due to, to one decision. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how these games are won and lost. Man, I love these close games like this. I know, they're so fun to watch. <laughs> Uh, all right. So uh, after week two, how are you feeling about these teams? Oh, some really good teams. I'm really looking forward to watching more from petting zoo players and bonsai legends because they've really been <laughs> kind of the wild cards in here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited, too. I think they're both playing. Uh, I, you know, I've said it before, but watching them, watching new coaches play the game their way is always super exciting because you get to see you get exposed to new strategies new tactics uh, and in a game like blood ball where there's so much agency there's just so much to discover and learn and cheer for and and uh it's super exciting to watch yeah and i never would have considered a halfling master chef and uh they've shown me <laughs> right yeah they're i mean they're expensive but man if you can pick one up with a, a team that has three TRRs, you could conceivably take them all away. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm scared of uh, everyone, I think. <laughs> I'm scared <laughs> of absolutely everyone. Uh, I'm excited to see how these final three weeks in round robin go. Uh, week three is underway currently. You and I have a game coming up shortly. Yeah, that's one I'm a little worried about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, like I said, I'm, I'm scared of everyone, so... <laughs> So we'll see how it goes. We're likely to see a Wood Elf team with a player advantage, and that's just terrifying. Yeah, well, we could also see we could also see this Underworld team with with mutations murder <laughs> <laughs> innocent elves. <so. laughs> At least you don't have to worry about the claw. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. The one thing I don't have to worry about. Uh, thanks for joining me on this uh, episode, uh, Artificial Bunny. It's been a blast, like always. Uh, thanks for having me. You'll be here. You'll be here for uh, week three. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I I look forward to it. That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash aviaunit02. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T 
the letter O, and the number 2, and watch archived games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. Be sure to check us out on the web at mammal.club. That's M-A-M-L dot C-L-U-B. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore Mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl! You can play Blood Bowl online via Cyanide Studios Blood Bowl 2 or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. Be kind to each other. Forgive everyone. Praise Nuffle! And may he bless your dice.